Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Revealed, a study of Jesus in the Old Testament. Our hope is that our eyes will be open to see that all scripture points to Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the middle of the Bible in the book of Psalms. If you've never gotten used to finding Psalms, uh, someone told me years ago that if you go to the halfway point, you should be really close. So Psalm 118 is what we're going to look at today. That's the verse we're going to look at from the Old Testament. And uh, if you want to just mark that place, we're going to come back to that in just a second. Um, but if you haven't been with us while you're turning there, by the way, in the Black Bibles, if you're using one of those, it's on page 425 if you choose not to use the halfway mark method. Um, Revealed is the name of our series this summer. And we're praying that, that the Lord will be revealed as we study him and Jesus in the Old Testament. We started a couple weeks ago, Genesis 3.15. And then last week we looked at Numbers 21. Uh, and, and we're looking at different passages. Today we're going to look at the book of Psalms. And uh, if you want to follow along with me on the notes, here's just a couple things I want you to see uh, as we start today. And that is, is that if you lived back in the time of Jesus then uh, this became clear. And that is that few saw the Messiah had to to suffer and be rejected. Very few people saw that. If Jesus hadn't revealed that, even to his own followers, they would have never seen it. Why? Because they didn't think the Messiah would have to suffer or be rejected. I don't know about you, when I pick my heroes... I try not to pick people that are rejected and lose. I try not to pick people that are suffering all the time instead of winning. But so they were looking one way for like this super always win, come in with amazing power, wow everybody. And actually God was doing something over here. So they didn't see it. So Jesus has to open their eyes to do that. And if you're following along, here's what we see again today is that Jesus opens the Old Testament scriptures to see him in them. He opens the Old Testament scriptures. That's what we're praying happens today. As we look at this Old Testament passage and see where Jesus talks about it, then I'm hoping that you'll see, wow. Because here's what's important. If you think that God is the God of the Old Testament and that a different God is the God of the New Testament, it's just not true. God has one purpose. He's been doing it in both the Old Testament and New Testament. It's not a different God. The unfolding revelation was all eventually pointing to Christ. Jesus said, these scriptures testify about me. So uh, I think I want to show the second Luke 24 there, Kevin. Luke 24 verses uh, 44 and 45. Look at what it says. It says, he said to them, this is right before he ascended to heaven, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and as we're going to see today, the Psalms. So then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So we want to do that today as well. Why? Because the passage today is going to talk about how he had to suffer and be rejected, not because of his fault, but because of ours. And the idea of rejected is, is loaded. I mean, he's, the, 
He's the one who was rejected but became the cornerstone is the verse we're going to look at today. When I think of rejected, you know, we just got done watching the NBA finals, some of us. And I remember when I first started learning how to play basketball, some of you say, well, this is because you're 5'7", Jeff. But anyway, when I went to play basketball, I, I remember that, if, you know, in those days, and the commentators still do it, if I got stuffed, if they, you know, if someone put their hand up and blocked the ball, you know what tends to happen? They're rejected! You know, that kind of thing was the way we talked on the streets there, see? Because <laughs> I, I was in the hood, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> no, the point is, the point is, is that idea of rejected was to block something, right? Now, that's, that's one thing, to have your shot rejected. That's not very painful. But a lot of times, being rejected, being bullied, is painful. And I both experienced some of that and, and made other people experience some of that. So this idea is loaded, and it's going to be talked about today, and it's, and it's going to be something that Jesus went through, had to go through. And they didn't understand that. So here's the verse. I want to ask you to look at it with me. I ask you to open your Bibles uh, to Psalm 118, and you're going to wonder why I did that since I put it on the notes. Here's why. Because I'm going to read one more verse than what's on the notes, and I want you to see that too. Okay, here we go. If you read with me the second gray box, let's read it together. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, if you look at your uh, translations there, it may say it a little differently than this, but the next verse is one that my dad always quoted to me when he would come into my bedroom very early in the morning to wake me up and raise the blinds, and then he would say these words. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I wasn't ready to do that yet. <laughs> Now, what I want you to see, the context is this, is that the day that's being worth rejoicing about is the day that God reversed the rejected and made the cornerstone so that now, every day since, we can rejoice. Because what he's done is amazing. Now, if someone asked you after the service today, hey, what did you guys talk about at church today? I'd love it if you could remember these nine words of Psalm 118, verse 22. Do you see it there in that first line in that second gray box? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Let's say it together. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, if you closed your eyes, do you think you could try it? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Try saying it to your neighbor. Try it. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, this is, this is, Jesus is going to talk about this verse. Now, if you don't know that the context of Psalm 118 is that uh, a person is in trouble. They're being swarmed. They're being, you know, pursued. And they're crying out for help. And so, in the midst of that, if it wasn't for God's intervention, that person would have been in deep trouble. And so in the middle of that, you have, in, at the, near the end of that, you have this incredible thing that the way God's going to do it is that he's going to take the stone the builders rejected and make him the cornerstone. This is his doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So originally it had to do with Israel or the king of Israel, and Jesus now says, this is about me. And I'm going to show you where that is in the New Testament in just a second. But I want to just pray that the Lord will 
reveal himself to us as we think about how Jesus was both the rejected one but became the cornerstone. Would you pray with me? Now, Lord, I pray in the time that we have together today that we would appreciate what you've done, that it would be marvelous in our eyes, that we would rejoice in it together, and we would be awed yet again by you, Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to us because unless you open our eyes, we will not be able to understand. We'll miss it too. Help us to understand so that we can follow you and build our lives on you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you're following along here, I want to just set up a couple different words, and it may be a little bit uh, uh, rough here at the beginning, but it'll start coming together. When you think about rejected or reject, uh, if you're following along in the notes, here's just several words of what it means to reject something. It means to dismiss, to ignore, to discard, to disobey. To reject means to dismiss, ignore, discard, disobey. You know, the, the idea of resisting, the idea of refusing, it's all built in there. And so uh, the Bible is telling us that Jesus there would be dismissed, ignored, discarded, and disobeyed. And the idea of disobedience is, is that when God's talking about people rejecting him, he says, people reject my word. They throw it behind their backs. They don't, they don't receive it. They reject it. They don't respond to it. And so the idea is, is that you and I can reject God by the ways that we dismiss or discount or discard or ignore or refuse. And the Bible tells us that all of us have rejected God in some way, either through our attitudes or our behaviors. And all of us have also experienced some measure of rejection, probably too. But the Bible tells us is that Jesus, as God's Messiah, as his purpose-filled, redemptive one, would be rejected. He would be dismissed. Here's Isaiah 53.3. Again, I think we're going to look at this passage in a lot more detail later. But let's just read this verse together out loud. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. This is yet another messianic uh, prophecy in the Old Testament. Psalm 118, everyone knew was a messianic psalm. Now, let me tell you just a little bit more about Psalm 118. Psalm 113, 114, 115, 116, 117, and 118 those books formed what was known to most Jewish people as the Hallel. Hallel means praise, worship. So when you and I sing hallelujah, what we're saying is praise you, Yah, praise you, Yahweh, praise the Lord. And uh, what the Jewish people did is that in all the major festivals they had, which Passover was part of one of those festivals, they learned how to actually sing these words and chant these words. So Jesus is taking something that many of them had already learned. Those nine words, we did pretty good. They knew even more of those because they learned how to sing them. 
They learned how to say them together every year at the major festivals. And in just a little bit, we're going to see a passage where Jesus speaks during the Passover week, where he says, this is me. You've been singing about it. Now I want to tell you, I'm the one that God was foretelling would be that one. I, would, I will be rejected. How? I will die on the cross in your place. And then I will become the cornerstone. How? I will be raised to life on the third day. And I also, after I've made appearances, I will ascend to heaven to be at the most important place, the right hand of God, until I come back again. So this rejection, he had to suffer and then enter his glory, is what Luke 24 also says earlier. So he's, he's bringing this all together. Now, notice the idea of cornerstone. Let's talk about that just for a moment. A cornerstone, you know, nowadays, if we have cornerstones, it's for decoration. Because we use mortar with brick, or we use different things to put that together. But in those days, a cornerstone was absolutely important, especially in the building of the temple or any major buildings. And sometimes I just have to remind myself that we are not the smartest generation that's ever come along. We're not the most innovative, even though we've been blessed with lots of technology and stuff. I'm thankful for all the innovations we have. But if we think we're superior to other generations, there's just times we have to be a little more humble than that. For instance, how do they build the pyramids? That's unbelievable to me. Like without trucks, like without heavy machinery. And building the temple was another example. Let me just give you an example. When, uh, they, when Jesus was standing in the temple courts, a passage we're going to look at in just a little bit, when he's standing in the temple courts, he actually is mentioning this verse. And in the temple courts, I think I shared this a few months ago, when they built the temple, they did, they did not, you could not hear a hammer on the site because they'd already gotten it in the quarries. So here's, Ray Pritchard shares this. Here, here's something that I found helpful. The image comes from the ancient quarries where highly trained stonemasons carefully chose the stones used in construction. No stone was more important than the cornerstone because the integrity of the whole structure depended on the cornerstone containing exactly the right lines. If the cornerstone was not exactly right, the entire building would be out of line. For that reason, builders inspected many stones, rejecting each one until they found the one they wanted. Rejected stones might be used in other parts of the building, but they would never become the cornerstone. Now let me just talk to you about how big these stones were when they found them off-site in these quarries. Uh, some of the foundation stones of the temple in Jesus' day were 45 feet long. Some of you, let me just put it in football language. That's 15 yards. That's more than a first down. And so 15 yards long, you know, 45 feet long, that'd probably be at, at least two-thirds of this open part of the stage where the steps are. Then it was 11 feet high. That's two of me. And then that's 16 and a half feet thick. Okay? That's more. That's three of me. Okay? Now, the idea is, is these were huge how did they get those things to the site? And when they looked at them, they had to be exactly right. So again, you think about the process they went through to build these things. But these were the foundation, and every other stone went on top of that and took its cues from the cornerstone. 
So if you're following along, here's what I want you to see about the cornerstone. It's the first and most important stone in a building. It's the first and most important stone in a building. And so some of you, you know, understand that if you're going to stack on top of things, you know, if you, if you remove the base, uh, you, you may have problems. But maybe uh, it, we have here uh, a larger size Jenga set here, especially for those of you listening online. And uh, if, you've, if you've not um, ever played Jenga, our family's played it, you stack all these blocks on top of each other, wooden blocks, and uh, what you try and do is you each take turns and you try and pull out one of the blocks without it falling. And whoever is able to do that, the, they, they win if, until, you know, the person that picks out the block that falls, they lose, okay? So what I have here is a white uh, square here that's bigger. It's, it's, it's the most important. It's right here at the base. And I just want to show you what happens if this is missing, this white cornerstone. So I'll just show you here, okay? I think that made its point there, nice and loud. Uh, the point is, is that if that's missing, it doesn't matter what other stones are there. Because it's everything. It's the first and most important. Now, here's another thing that struck me this week. We use mortar to hold things together. Because these stones were laid on top of them, because they were of the size they were, they didn't have to use that. Why? Because these stones rested all their weight on the cornerstone. And they were not easily moved when they were resting on the cornerstone like that. And so most important, resting their weight on the biggest, the first, it's all about the cornerstone. And uh, why did they reject the cornerstone? Because it didn't fit in what they were looking for. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where the reason why I've resisted Jesus is because he didn't fit into my plans. And as a result, I missed how important he is. I missed the whole point of his part and place in the world. And so this idea of a rejected one, in fact, again, you remember the nine words? The stone, the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And it tells us the Lord has done this. He's the one that did that reversal. So if you're following along, here's a little more background. God promises a future stone will come. God promises a future stone will come. And I've listed out to the right Isaiah 8, 14, Isaiah 28, 16, Daniel 2 uh, as well. I'll come back to those verses a little bit later. But this idea of Psalm 118, it's not the only place that God says, I'm going to do something through a stone. Now, I was nervous when I was thinking about this because the image that the stone may rise up for you is an impersonal one. Like when you look at something that's made of rock or stone, you may go, there's no life in that. But every time the stone was mentioned in the Old Testament like this, it, it meant a person. It was personal. It wasn't impersonal. It wasn't inanimate. And so this idea that God would raise up a stone is found in places, not just in the Psalms, but also in Isaiah and the book of Daniel. And it, he, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay a stone. I'm going to bring a stone into the world that's going to make a difference. And it'll be so important. It'll be first. 
It'll be the one you need to rest your weight on and let your life fit into it rather than trying to fit your, that into your life. And so Jesus promised that. And again, we'll come back to seeing some of those examples in just a little bit. But here's the New Testament passage I finally want to bring you to now. You don't have to turn to it, but if you want to, on the Black Bible, it's page 733. And he, this is a story we actually walked through several months ago. Brian Wilmar taught on this, and it's the parable of the tenants. Now, in Luke's gospel, it's chapter 20. In Matthew's gospel, it's chapter 21. In Mark's gospel, it's chapter 12. So if you ever wanted to look at that more. But here in this passage, he tells this parable of the tenants. And at the end of it is when he quotes Psalm 118. So let me read it, and then let's see what we can draw from it. Jesus went on to tell the people this parable. By the way, if you go back to the top of chapter 20, verse 1, you'll see one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts. So again, these stones are all around them while he's teaching. Imagine that. So verse 9, he went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. That's called rejection. He sent another servant, but that one they also beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. This is really actually a reference to all the prophets, all the messengers God was sending over a period of time, and they kept rejecting. They would not respond to him. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning? In fact, I'll just have you read this with me. Verse 17 in that first gray box. Would you read that with me? Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, do you see all the rejection that's going on here? You're doing the very thing that I'm talking about in this parable it goes on and says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. So if you're following along, here's something that's interesting. Here in this parable, Jesus says, you're rejecting God's son, S-O-N, and stone. You're rejecting God's son and stone. So this parable he tells, notice how the son gets rejected, not just the servants. The son there represents who, friends? God's son, whom I love, sends. He says, you're rejecting the son, and then he says, what's the meaning of this passage? The stone. Now in English, we don't get this. I, I certainly didn't. But the word for son, Jesus spoke in Aramaic, the language of the Hebrew people. The word for son in Hebrew is the word ben, B-E-N. The word for stone in Hebrew is just one letter more, heben, E-B-E-N. And he's saying is, 
Look, I told a parable about a son, but you need to know that the son is the stone, and you're rejecting both. But God's up to something, because he's going to make the son the stone that's rejected, the cornerstone. And they are mad because they want to reject him, and they can't believe that he would act like he was the fulfillment of this scripture, and that they would be rejectors when they were so proud of thinking it was all about their understanding. So it was very humbling. So Jesus teaches this, and he opens the eyes of his disciples. What did they do after he died, rose again, and ascended to the right hand of God? What did they do when they began to teach and preach? Let's look at that. Next, notice this. By the way, before I go to that, I want to just make sure I, I, I bring this together. To receive or reject God's stone has consequences. Do you see what they are? It means it will build, break, or crush you. It will build, break, or crush you. One of the things I love about Jesus is different than our generation. He didn't hesitate to also preach the consequences. Nowadays, preaching can preach all about the benefits of Jesus, and we need to preach the benefits of Jesus. But if you reject Jesus, are there any consequences? Sometimes I feel like we share Jesus like we do a ham sandwich. Hey, you want Jesus? Oh, you don't? Okay. Friends, what the Bible's saying is, he's first. He's most important. He's what it's about. That's why Jesus would go on and quote part of what Isaiah and Daniel say. Did you see that? Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. There's, there's consequences to what we do with Jesus, is what he's saying. Because of his important place in God's whole redemptive purpose for the world. And so we need to be, just be careful that we don't like downplay the consequences of that. There are ramifications what we do with Jesus, friends. I hope I never talk about Jesus like another option. He's not an option. He's it. And I say that hopefully humbly enough. Because I know there's people from all different backgrounds, but friends, again and again, Jesus is qualified. He is proven. He is the only one who was without sin. He is the only one that was completely, exactly right. That's why God chose him. And so notice this. Here's what Peter would eventually stand up and say to these very same people. If you're following along, he's the cornerstone, the only one who can save. He's the cornerstone, the only one who can save. If you look up here, Acts 4, this is just like six or seven weeks after Jesus was crucified. He says this in the same city where Jesus was crucified to Jesus' enemies who are listening in the crowd. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Psalm 118, verse 22, right there. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we, what, friends, must be saved. There is no other way. Saved from what? Saved from the sin of our rejecting God by our attitudes and actions. There's a penalty for what we've done to God. All of us, the Bible says, have committed high treason. We have all rejected God's word, God's purpose, God's way in our lives in some way or another, and the consequences are serious. So 
There's no other name by which we must be saved. What's he saying here? Here it is, friends. On the cross, instead of God making us pay for our rejecting ways, his son was rejected in our place so that we could be accepted if we trust in him. On the cross, Jesus was excluded so that all who looked to him could be included by God's grace. That's why it's so important that we see that the rejected stone was rejected in a way that cost was very painful, but it's how God made a way for him to become the cornerstone and for us to be part of what he's building in the world. Therefore, we must be saved or we will be crushed and broken to pieces. But instead, Jesus was broken to pieces and crushed for our sakes that we might be accepted. Praise his name. Notice this then, that all who come to Jesus all who come to Jesus are built into a spiritual house. All who come to Jesus are built into a spiritual house. What's God up to? He's building a spiritual house with living stones around the living cornerstone. Here's what Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says. Consequently, he's writing to Christians. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And this is why, friends, we do not believe that ultimately God's final purpose is to build a physical temple in the city of Jerusalem one day, but that he is already now with Jews and Gentiles that trust in his son and rest their whole weight on Jesus Christ. He's building a temple. That is the fulfillment of what he promised would one day happen. And it all centers around Jesus Christ. It's not a physical temple he's now building. It's a spiritual temple that he's building with people who have trusted in him and rested their weight upon him. And so that's what it means to come to Christ, to come to him. I'll come back to that. But it also means, and here's, here's just the honest consequences, all who disobey, if you're following along, all who disobey and reject Jesus stumble and fall. All who disobey and reject Jesus stumble and fall. So Peter not only stood up and preached, you rejected him, but he was made the cornerstone. Know this, there is no other name under heaven given to human beings than Jesus Christ, by which we must be saved. Notice now what he teaches in the New Testament letter when he writes in 1 Peter 2 to fellow Christians. Here it is. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. In other words, serving him now instead of having him serve us through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, now, I told you we'd come back to places where it also talks about a stone being prophesied. Here's one. This is Isaiah 28, 16 that I listed up earlier in the message notes. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never 
be put to shame. Then he goes on. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, now he's going to quote our verse. Let's read it together. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Psalm 118, verse 22. Now he's going to go on and quote Isaiah 8, 14. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, those of you that have rested your weight and relied and trusted in Jesus, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness of rejecting into his wonderful This is why we were made. So let's talk about how we can respond to Jesus as we close this. First, here's a question to ask myself. You can ask yourself, have I come to him? And am I looking to him to save me? Have I come to him? And am I looking to him to save me? What does that mean to come to him? That doesn't just mean to pray a prayer or to kind of like just, you know, tip my hat. To come to him means to come to him completely, my whole life. And just as a stone would rest its whole weight on the cornerstone, it means that I am now ready to humbly rest my whole weight on Jesus as the cornerstone, to let him be the most important, to be first in my life, to be the one that makes me part of what God's doing in the world by his grace. And so, do I believe that? Have I come to him? Or have I just been thinking about it? Can I just ask you today, as you look back over your life, can you point to a time when you said, I came to Christ in dependence and faith and resting on him instead of resting in my own righteousness, resting in my own plans, making him fit into my plans, I realized that now it was about me fitting into his plans, and I surrendered to him, and I looked to him in faith. Have you done that? Jesus, in John 5, 40, I, I, I shared this verse last week, so you may remember verse 39, but he says to the religious leaders one day, he says, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You do not realize that these are the scriptures that testify about me. And here's the verse. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You keep refusing. You keep ignoring. You keep rejecting. Come on. Come to me to have life. Why? Because I'm the only one that can save you from the consequences of your rejecting. Otherwise, you'll be crushed. You'll stumble. You'll fall. You'll be broken to pieces. Come on. The next thing here, though, is do I see, am I part of what Jesus is building with God? Do I see, am I part of what Jesus is building with God? I list out to the right there, Matthew 16, 18, 16, 15 through 18. Some of you know that when Jesus was working with his disciples, he kept teaching them things that they didn't necessarily get at the time, but after a while, their eyes were opened. So Peter and the other disciples are with Jesus one day. And I think the reason why Peter wrote these words that we read in 1 Peter come back from what happened in Matthew 16. Jesus is with his disciples one day and he says, who do people say I am? And they give him some answers. And then he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? 
He's turning the screws a little tighter there. Do you see that? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. That's not being smart. My father in heaven showed you that. And upon what you just said, I will build my church. He had renamed Peter Rock, and, and Peter would be one of the foundation stones of the apostles and prophets. But he was saying, based on your testimony of me being the Messiah, the cornerstone, I will build my church. Friends, I just want to remind you, Jesus didn't come just to make you and him different. He came to save you to become part of something bigger than yourself. And in the United States, the battle we have is individualism, where we think it's just about me and Jesus, and the church is ancillary. He came to purchase a people of his very own. He came to make all of us living stones that would all rest our weight on him, and as we do that, he puts us together. In the last service, some of the young adults in our church that meet on Monday nights were sitting here, and I was thinking about what God's doing with our young adults these days. If you don't know, it's exciting. 25 or 30 of them are gathering, and they're encouraging each other in the Lord. Uh, last night, I got a text from a person in this church, first time they've ever gone to Juarez, Mexico. And I could tell that as they served alongside other believers and cared about people there in Mexico, they realized that they were being living stones built together to serve the Lord on top of this great cornerstone. Sometimes when I'm standing down front here singing with the rest of you, I find myself thinking, oh Lord, after all I've done to reject you, you let me be part of this group of people that gets to sing your praises? Bless your name. You really are the cornerstone, and when I forget that, thanks for bringing me back again and again and again to rest my weight upon you. Thank you for letting me be part of what you're building in this world. Friends, can I ask you, do you love the church? I'm not talking about Cherry Hills. Do you love the church? Or you just see that as like an option? Because if you don't understand, a sign of maturity is that you're giving yourself, you're serving alongside other believers. And so I was with Roy Newman. Some of you know Roy, uh, Fresh Visions Community Church. I was with him in a meeting a few months ago, and he says, you know, there's a lot of people that are in church, but church is not in them. And what he's saying is there's a lot of people that think it's about going to church rather than being the church. And that's what he wants to make us, friends, all because he was rejected and God made him the cornerstone and us living stones. The last thing is, with his people, will I praise and obey our cornerstone? With his people, will I praise and obey our cornerstone? Can I just share in closing that one of the things that happened to me this week while I was studying this passage is the Lord showed me that a lot of times the way that I relate to the cornerstone after I become a Christian is that, is that sometimes I'm like this. I'm just, you know, laying on top of it, you know, in any old way. And he just goes, you know, Jeff, obey me. Obey me. Don't reject my word in this. Don't reject what I'm showing you. Submit to me. Obey me. Line your life up with me in obedience and trust and reliance. Don't be sloppy. And so he puts his fingers on that in some, some situations over and over again, patient, but always bring me back to this. That's what it means to rely and come to Christ in full surrender. 
So a number of years ago, I was at a conference in Florida, and there was a guy named Jerry Bridges, a great author, and um, we had just sung the song, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. You know, we sang that, and it was beautiful. We were in a church there in Orlando, Florida, and uh, he stood up and just said, you know, I just want to remind you, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. He didn't say, if you obey me, I'll love you. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me out of all that I've done for you. Let that, be, let that lead you to obedience. And he said, so remember, every time you sing, I love the Lord, that's part of what we're called to do is declare his praises that way with our mouths. But let's also declare his praises with our lives in obedience and surrender. And so as we sing this closing song about Jesus being the cornerstone, is there anything the Lord might be trying to say to you? Is he first? Is he most important in your life? Have you come to him? Do you realize that he's gathered us together to declare his praises both with our lips and also with our lives and that we're serving together and that we're about him? It's about him. It's about him.